The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's nine minutes after eight here on AM Live. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've been with us all morning and if you've just joined us, welcome to the show. Now, a very, very interesting one this morning. On the Forum at Eight this morning, we're hosting a journalist, biographer, historian, Martin Meredith. And he has, of course, written a whole host of books on Africa and its modern history. And uh, some of his books include In the Name of Apartheid, Nelson Mandela, uh, Coming to Terms, South Africa's Search for the Truth is written about Robert Mugabe, power and plunder in Zimbabwe, and so many others. And uh, thank you so much for coming through. It's an absolute pleasure having you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, obviously, you know, you have worked on the continent extensively. You've traveled extensively. You've seen a lot. You've observed a lot. And I think I want to start with the most mundane of questions, perhaps, about Africa. Its name. You know, what? does Africa mean? Where did it derive from? Its name was originally dreamt up by the Romans in about 2,000 years ago. Um, There was a a tribe in what is now modern Tunisia um, known as the Afri. Um, And when the Romans invaded um, 2,000 years ago, they called um, their province in that part of Africa, in uh, that part of North Africa, uh, they named it Africa after the Afri tribe. And then when they extended um, their rule to an adjacent province, they called it Africa Nova. Um, and then about um, six centuries later, as a result of the Arab invasion of North Africa, the Arabs called the same region Ifriqiya, which is the Arabic for Africa. Um, but it was confined to that stretch of, 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 of Africa in the nor- northern kind of coastal region. And then when Europeans uh, started their intervention in Africa in, in the 15th century, um, the, that which was the time of the beginning of Europe's uh, exploration of the African coastline, they used the term Africa to describe the whole continent. But it actually derives from one relatively kind of small tribe that lived um, in, on the North African coast um, 2,000 years ago. And, you know, when we speak about Africa, uh, then very often we think of how it is usually depicted by uh, non-Africans, uh, this dark continent, you know, the savage, uh, savage continent that people talk about. Where does this derive from? That on the whole comes from the 19th century when um, Europe's explorers, there are, there are two meanings to the to the dark continent in a sense. Europe had... Uh, Europeans had a very vague uh, knowledge of what went on in the interior of the Africa. There were huge chunks on the map which were called terra incognita, land that was just unknown to them. And as a result of that, it, because of the of the term dark continent means two things. It means basically a continent which of which we, the Europeans, know very little. Um, but it also referred to the European uh, idea of supremacy over Africa um, and that Europeans came from a superior culture. And one of their ways of, if you like, upholding what they claimed to be a superior culture was to rather denigrate those cultures in Africa, indigenous cultures, uh, because they were foreign to them. And, and that's where, if you like, the, the, dark, the words dark continent actually kind of comes really from the 19th century. And it was used for decades and decades um, as a place of uh, 
of of darkness in the in the sort of uh, moral and a moral sense uh, among other things and there were a whole range of practices which missionaries who were the at the forefront of european exploration in the 19th century a whole range of indigenous practices every, everything from kind of human sacrifices and so on which led them to proclaim africa as being a realm of darkness in which their own uh, they, which needed to be enlightened. So it's, it's very much a kind of 19th century concept, European concept, uh, which spilled over in the 20th century and then became used as a kind of political description of what was kind of going on in Africa. Uh, it was a way of, if you like, expressing European supremacy or the, the supremacy that Europeans claimed to have over Africa. And, you know, very often uh, also you hear of Africans uh, being uh, referred to as savages, as I said earlier, and beasts. But I often wonder, were Africans really that? Because in order for them to have been colonized, you would think that the colonizers would come in little groups and you would find... I would hope bigger groupings of African people who um, were, you know, living in certain parts of the continent. How was it then seemingly so easy for Africa to be colonized? What, what was the state of the African people? Or was it a matter of people being divided along a tribal and other lines and therefore making it easy to uh, conquer them, you know, bit by bit? What was that situation like? Well, d- just to un- answer the, f- the first point that, that, that you raised, it was kind of very common, certainly in, in the 18th and 19th century, for Europeans to use disparaging terms about foreign peoples. Uh, but they, that didn't only apply to, if you like, foreign peoples. The, 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 the English description of the Irish was that they were beasts and savages, uh, and the Irish being uh, belonging to an adjacent island to England, basically. Um, uh, so these phrases were kind of in common use, um, which, and, and, and so that, if you like, the, the common usage uh, spread to the description of, of, of Africans. So it wasn't that Africans were being, if you like, targeted with these descriptions. <laughs> it was the way in which the English, again, to express their own idea of supremacy, described even their neighbours as savages and, and, and beasts. But it's very much the case that Africa has suffered from one invasion after another. Um, the, the, and it has to do, a great deal of it has to do with the wealth of Africa and that the foreigners have been excited, if you like, by the wealth of Africa. The, the pyramids of the Nile Valley in Egypt um, were an expression in many ways of the wealth of Egypt's rulers, the pharaohs, uh, who built the pyramids um, as stepping stones to what they believed was the afterlife. Now, these are monumental structures dating back four and a half thousand years um, uh, uh, before the birth of, of, of Christ. So, uh, and... and uh, they are engineering marvels. They are uh, extraordinary kind of buildings, and they they remained the tallest buildings in the world uh, for thirty eight centuries or so. And it was that was, a, if you like, um, the idea of the wealth of Egypt attracted all kinds of ki- foreigners. It attracted, um, in the first place, them. Um, 
the Romans. There were a whole series of other kind of foreign invasions which occurred before the Romans arrived. But the Romans uh, colonized North Africa um, because of basically their need to get hold of grain supplies to feed the population of Rome. Um, and Africa was the breadbasket for the population of, of, of Rome. Without North African grain, the population of Rome would have starved. There's the sort of all kinds of modern parallels which take place. There is in the, now in the 21st century, this is 2,000 years later, um, a scare about food scarcity. Um, uh, um, and Africa, having vast areas of uncultivated land, is being targeted now by foreign cop foreign corporations for food supplies, um, just as uh, the Romans were targeting Africa for for their own food supplies, kind of from North Africa. And these parallels you find going all the way through kind of through history. But Africa consisted um, of many thousands of different entities. There, it, it, it has nothing to do with, if you like, the European notion of, of tribalism. Africa consisted of a huge variety of empires, enormous kind of empires, some of the wealthiest empires that the world has ever seen. The world's richest man that has ever lived, that somebody who surpasses even the wealth of modern billionaires like Bill Gates, um, was a 14th century king um, on the ruler of the Mali emp Empire, mm. um, Mansa Musa. Um, he, he, the Mali Empire of the, of the 14th century was one of the most sophisticated and wealthy empires of the era. So it's it's a, a, a false notion that Afro just con Africans uh, just produced a whole sort of series of tribes that didn't actually kind of make much of themselves. There were there were empires, there were kingdoms, there were chiefdoms. Um, when Europeans began the scramble for Africa in the 19th century, there were about 10,000 African polities in existence, societies of one kind or another. There were emperors in, in place, there were kings, there were chiefs, there were many kinds of different different rulers. The One of the great problems that Africa has faced is that uh, the European colonizers amalgamated these 10,000 polities into nothing more than 40 colonies, European-run kind of colonies. Um, and that uh, today creates all kinds of difficulties and problems um, for the modern states of Africa and the modern rulers of Africa because their states are entirely artificial. Mm. Their boundaries cut across different ethnic groups or they incorporate rival ethnic groups. Um, and it's one of the sort of conditions of modern Africa uh, that it has to face the consequences that the states that exist in modern Africa were built by European powers in the 19th century with absolutely no recognition of what was really going on the ground, the, the different African societies that existed at that particular time. And just looking at some of the difficulty that Africa still faces today, you spoke about uh, the wealth of resources and minerals that we have on the continent, and yet the people remain largely poor. And and, and this is, you know, a kind of um, a conundrum that most people simply don't understand. Why is that? Well, if you look at the sort of, it, it depends on which phase of, of African history you take. The, the the period of, of colonial European colonial rule in Africa was expected to last for several hundred years. It in fact it it existed for no more than about kind of seventy 
uh, years. But because European rulers believed that they had a long period to work with, the development was slow. They did not really kind of commit resources to developing Africa until the post-war uh, era. That's the post-Second World War era, um, post-1945. Kind of so there was a limited development in the kind of colonial era. Um, the colonial powers were interested more to make their colonies uh, self-paying, to make them self-sufficient, rather than to spend invest capital in, in developing them. At the time of independence in the late 1950s, the early 1960s, um, there was a burst of enthusiasm about the prospects for Africa because it is, as you say, it contains extraordinary kind of variety of mineral resources. And indeed, it is one of potentially one of the wealthiest continents in the world. The problem is, is that the record of African governments after independence uh, is pretty abysmal that ruling elites on the whole that emerged in control of African states were m more interested in making money for themselves uh, than they were in interested in developing their states for the common good. Um, and that there was a period of 40 years or so of economic decline and failure and political instability. And it's only in the 21st century that after years and years of, of, of failures and upheavals that Africa has begun to acquire a kind of more stable footing, um, although the problems that Africa faces are still enormously difficult to resolve. Well, we're speaking to uh, Martin Meredith this morning, uh, author, historian, a journalist, biographer. Are we talking about the African continent? If you have any questions about Africa, the history of Africa, then uh, we have your man here, Martin. He's going to answer some of these questions for us. 891 is the number to dial. You can also SMS us on uh, 34701 at a cost of two rand, or you can tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Now, the other thing that I'm always curious about is uh, the industrialization of Africa. You look at Asia, you look at what's happening there, and you compare that to what's happening on the African continent. And again, the mind boggles, Martin. Why are we struggling to industrialize? Well, the, because I suppose many of the, 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 this excludes kind of South Africa, because South Africa is a modern industrial state, and it has all the features of a modern industrial state. So in the continent of Africa, South Africa, uh, in the continent of Africa, South Africa is an exception. But if you go back, let's say, to the 1950s, you can take a country like a colony, uh, which is called the Gold Coast, and which is now known as Ghana. Ghana in the 1950s was one of the most prosperous tropical countries in the world. Its level of development was far superior to a country like South Korea in Asia. Um, it had a sophisticated middle class. It had several generations of doctors and teachers and engineers and civil servants who were kind of skilled in, in administration. It had huge foreign exchange reserves. So, and, but it was as a result, basically, of mismanagement, uh, that all Ghana's wealth that, that, that they inherited at the time of independence more or less had been uh, evaporated 
after a period of 10 years of independence rule. Now, to compare it to South Korea, for example, South Korea now is a major industrial state. Um, and Ghana has been struggling for kind of uh, 30 or 40 years merely to become uh, a, a, a prime agricultural producer again. Um, the difficulty, the, it, 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 the, the reason for that is partly kind of cultural. Um, the South Koreans um, have a, a work ethic which is pretty phenomenal uh, by, if you like, Western standards. Um, the Ghanaians, who are very talented people, um, but they lost, uh, they lost out basically because of political mismanagement and corruption. Now, in Asia, there's a great deal of kind of corruption, um, as there is indeed in Africa. Um, but what happens with Asian corruption is, is that the money is recycled in Asia itself. In Africa, corruption leads to a huge drain of economic resources. The World Bank estimates that Africa's private wealth that of Africa's private wealth, 40% is held outside the continent. In other words, the ambition of the ruling elite and the entrepreneurs and so on is to export their money from Africa, to get it out of the way of, other, other, of, of being snatched away. Um, whereas in Asia, you will find that the money gained from kind of corruption is recycled back internally, so that they don't lose 40% of their revenues to foreign parts. And that's kind of one of the basic kind of contrasts between the success of Asian industrialization and the failure of Africa to industrialize. Well, we're going to take some calls for Martin Meredith. 891 is the number to dial. Let's speak to Churchill in Secunda. Good morning, Churchill. Good morning, Sakina, and uh, morning to Martin. Welcome. Yeah, you just uh, coined or um, mentioned something with regard to Africa as termed by the European dark continent. My question is now, I've been trying to understand why am I called black? Because when I look myself in the mirror, I am brown. So I was trying to understand now, I don't know, in your comment, is black classification color. I don't know, is it also not consistent with what you can call dark continent in Africa? Okay, thanks so much, Churchill. Claire in George, good morning. Um, I have always been curious about um, why it is that uh, in Nigeria, where they've got fantastic um, oil wealth, uh, that's just one example, that uh, the citizens are scratching for a living and uh, so on, uh, my cousins, uh, I have cousins who work in Kuwait, and that's an oil-rich country, and none of the citizens pay tax, and they have free services, um, everything. And I'm just wondering why on earth um, a, a place like Nigeria is not doing the same. Okay, thank you so much, Claire. KGM in Pretoria, good morning. Uh, I mean, you're in Cape Town, sorry. <laughs> Kavstad, Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sakina. And good morning to your guest. What, what a refreshing guest today. Um, Sakina, my, my one or maybe two questions. One is, what is his take on my assertion that based on the history that he's talking about, history, their story, not our story, um, shouldn't we use today's law to say when a person goes to an, a, a country without 
uh, any legal uh, relations, shouldn't that country, uh, that person be deported back to their country so that they can come legally into the country? Um, secondly, what what is the his view in terms of there's so much debt that the continent carries today, which, by the way, is impedulated onto the rest of the continent illegally. And we are aware that it's illegal. But because of the so-called officialized democratic system, countries found themselves at the receiving end of the fact that nothing, even when we know that things were done and they were wrong, nothing of those things can be reversed. I would like to have his two comments on that. Thank you so much, uh, KGM. We are in discussion with Martin Meredith this morning. He's, of course, a renowned author, journalist, historian, biographer, and uh, talking not about any of his books in particular, but talking more about the African continent, its history, uh, anything else that you would like to touch on, uh, basically. And I'm looking at uh, his latest book, The Fortunes of Africa, a daunting, big, but I must tell you, when I started reading the first few pages, I was hooked. So well worth the read. And uh, just looking at some of the comments coming through, it seems as though Martin does have a lot of fans out here. Uh, Matlatsi says, uh, thank you from my navel. I've never heard that. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you forever. And uh, this is for hosting um, Martin Meredith. Sabelo Ngumalo says, uh, thank you for this. Please ask Martin the significance of the oldest university in the world and the impact of the Berbers. Now, let me take that one because we still need to answer uh, the callers uh, that we took earlier. Firstly, Churchill wanted to know why is he referred to as black? Um, and, and he uh, he uh, asked whether it was uh, linked to the idea of the dark continent. Mm. And the answer is, 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 is yes. But the term black is a very ancient one. Um, and indeed, it, it's, it's a sort of shorthand for, for, for describing people of dark skin. And, and, and if you like, dark skin is not, a, uh, a, is not an insult. It's actually a kind of physical description. But if you go back in, in history, um, the word Ethiopian, uh, which is used to describe um, um, modern Ethiopia, the, the, the word Ethiopia is actually a Greek word which means burned face. Um, and if you go back again and, and look at the descriptions um, that came from the Berber language of people of dark skin uh, who lived in West Africa, um, the Berber expression was Guinea. So all the countries that are known as Guinea, whether that's kind of Guinea-Bissau or Guinea-Conakry, or indeed even the currency that was used for a while, Guinea, comes originally from a Berber word which means black in the Berber language. So the connotation, if you like, of black goes back uh, thousand, literally thousands of years. Um, it, is, it is, as I say, used in, in modern times as a shorthand. I mean, I am. I, I, I happen to be born in England. I'm. I'm white, but I'm not actually white. I'm pink. Um, yet you would. Nobody would describe me as being pink. It's, it is literally a shorthand for um, for skin color. Um, uh, somebody has also asked uh, uh, about uh, the, the different kind of uh, of colors that occur in Africa, mm. um, and and whether whites are. Um, uh, uh, can be considered to be foreign. Um, the 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 expression that blacks in northern Africa very often use about the, the fair-skinned people who live um, amongst their uh, midst 
um, uh, because they are fair-skinned, they are referred to by blacks of a darker color as being white. Yet we in Europe would describe such people as being Arab or Berber or being kind of certainly not white but having a slightly kind of darker skin. It is the way in which different peoples describe uh, other peoples and it has to be put into shorthand to make any kind of sense. So when did it go from being descriptive to being derogatory? It's been derogatory for a long time, if only because, if you like, the attitude certainly of the Arab world was that blacks were, to use your own expression, beasts and savages, just as much as the English described the Irish as beasts and, and savages. So the derogatory term that was used comes from very often from African people themselves. Um, skin color is a matter of some importance and a matter of pride to, in, to some indigenous people of Africa. It is not that Africans themselves are bereft of color consciousness. They are indeed doing that. There was a, there was a phase in, in, in African society where skin lightening kind of creams were a, a, a major kind of product and, and sold all the way through Still. Africa. Uh, well, there you are, you see. Therefore, presumably, there is some attraction for being lighter skinned than being darker skinned, except that in modern times, it now makes a complete nonsense. It's, it's a matter of personal preference. And there's no derogatory... Uh, uh, meaning left in the word black um, and there's no any more than there is now used in terms of the word white. White used to be in some ways a derogatory term when it was used by blacks to describe uh, the whites of the apartheid era. Uh, it was not necessarily a kind expression uh, but those those are sort of the, in a sense that's past history. It's the best way to look at black and colour is basically a, a matter of shorthand rather than anything else. But, but, but you do have still those lingering hangovers you know from our colonial past and uh, in South Africa especially where we are still grappling with the effects of apartheid and there is, there's a question here several people actually have jumped onto it want to know why should we as Africans have a white person like yourself telling our story to us yes I mean this is a, a kind of uh, a common uh, objection to, I, I am essentially a kind of foreigner to Africa. I'm not indigenous. Um, but the world will be a much poorer place if um, history or science or any other kind of uh, profession was left to a particular uh, uh, nationality. Um, African, uh, Africans have the ability and do and uh, uh, express their own history. There are any number of kind of African historians at work. So if you want, if you were, uh, want an African historian's version of Africa, then um, you, can, you can find those. Um, but we now, in the modern world, we now have black Britons. Uh, are you suggesting that it's, would the listener, uh, the, the questioner be su suggesting that somehow history can only be written if you're an in indigenous uh, uh, author? Um, the English love having the French write about them because the French have a completely different take on what the English are like. And the English love reading about themselves through the eyes of other peoples because they actually kind of quite like the self-mockery that is involved in the process of, mm. of, 